Hello, Future Tribe, and welcome to this week's episode of the show. It is Thursday. It's a bit early because we've got one of the co-hosts, Kelsey, taking the day off uh, for good reasons. Um, uh, but, oh man, like this this episode is all, all so full and we're like on a Thursday, not even a Friday. I, I couldn't imagine. There were a fair few things that I left out because there's probably more information to come and more that we can talk about in future episodes. But we're going to be talking about Facebook inflating their ad numbers. I think this applies to Instagram as well. Brands caught stealing user images. Don't update to Windows 11 just yet. That's from me and a few other people. Apple releasing their new MacBooks with a notch. They did it for phones. They're going to do it to laptops apparently. Intrepid gets a new, or Intrepid Travel gets a logo update. Google releases their Pixel phones using their own chip. Google Calendar has a few new feature additions, including something we picked up on during the week. Yep, um, we'll also be chatting about a new logo from Nielsen, or for Nielsen. Um, Instagram is going to be allowing partnered posts talking about um, two things from Netflix, updating how they rank popular shows and um, something about some filtering that we have uh, some thoughts on. Um, BBC has some new brand assets as well and Facebook might be changing their name. Let's roll the intro and start talking about all these different topics. All right, so let's get it started with the with the big one, Facebook inflating ad numbers. Now, I've heard a little bit about this. I think inflating ad numbers is probably a little unfair. Is it more accurate to say that Facebook will now count uh, a Facebook view and an Instagram view as two separate views, even if they know that you're the same person because you've linked your accounts? Is that more accurate? Yeah, so I think it's um, it's a little bit of a semantics kind of thing in that, yeah, Facebook will count if I'm on Facebook and I see an ad and I'm on Instagram and I see the same ad, that's counted as two views. So it's one of those things where it's like technically, yeah, it's two views, but is it twice as effective? Are you getting two different audience or two different people? So I'm sure I wonder that. what they'll also do with the um, costs around that, whether whether you know, you're, you're counting it twice, but are you, or when I say you, is Facebook the big company, um, not the not the platform, going to count that twice and charge you twice, or are they going to be more genuine about it? My guess is that it's going to be the former. We've talked about this many times, especially Facebook. I think people will say it's one company that stands out as an organization that just wants to make money um, rather than some of the organizations, some some tech companies, I think you could point to at least instances where they genuinely want to make the world a better place or have a, an impact past financials. But I think Facebook is one area, uh, one company that you can't necessarily say the same thing. So this is going to have an impact on your advertising. Uh, if you If you listen to last week's episode, we talked about how ad spend is being wasted and the stats around that just in Australia. So it's going to affect how you're going to do your advertising and how you're going to do your targeting. Uh, there are also a few other changes when it comes to Facebook advertising that has have come up. But again, as I hinted to in the intro, there's, there's not a lot of solid information around that yet. So a bit early to talk about that, um, but it's, a, it's an evolving space as, as these platforms always are. Um, did you have anything else to add about that, Kelsey? No, it was more just uh, yeah, just a note on that change. Um, there's all sorts of ethical questions we could go into about it, but yeah, nothing to add. Yeah, moving moving on to Delta Airlines using a hashtag in order to grab rides to use customers' images. What's this about? Um, it's essentially just a comment on how some brands can be quite sneaky and work around the rules. Um, so I think a lot of people have this impression that they can upload their images to, you know, Instagram, wherever, and 
they're still their images. Um, what Delta is doing is they're basically asking customers to use particular hashtags and there's certain, I guess, um, terms and conditions around those hashtags that will then waive any rights to the original user's ownership of those images. Um, so it's kind of a sneaky way for Delta to be able to legally take those images and use user-generated content for their own marketing purposes. I'm willing to bet, though, that this hasn't been tested in a court of law. And Yeah, I think it's like, one of those things like we discussed last week where, um, you know, you end up with, uh, what was the conversation we were having about it? It was, um, you know, the tech space not being regulated. Yes. I think it's that, that same issue that we were discussing last week. Yeah, like who has jurisdiction, who has control, because these... I mean, that's the benefit of, say, cryptocurrency in that no one can regulate it. But then when you're applying it more for uh, rather than a tool, more for something that can collect information about you and synthesize that information, how does that apply? And how does the consistency or the lack of consistency apply across the world? Um, we're seeing at this stage companies having to essentially modify their service based on the country that you're you're in like cnn leaving facebook in australia which probably isn't a good long-term solution it's it's easy when it's a big market like australia but you could imagine if smaller countries with very tiny populations started imposing their own legislation that these companies will have a decision to make and we've had i'm not a fan of it but we've had geo-blocking of content for a while from streaming platforms i wonder if we're going to get to a point where you know you can use xyz functionality or feature but only if you're using linkedin in this country or or you know in, in facebook in a specific region even because i don't see why it couldn't become state-based um, as well in the us you get that from a financial perspective and taxes so why wouldn't that happen from a tech perspective as well? Um, not good, though, to be essentially, quote unquote, stealing, but I don't know how you can set rules or have ownership over a hashtag. I think that's probably the biggest gray area for me. Mm -hmm. Hashtags are a wonderful way to have a common thread uh, around a campaign and get people sort of rallying around a campaign and get your community contributing as well. But um, user-generated content in general is a bit of a gray area because yeah i mean there are platforms where you can very clearly license that that sort of content but at the same time where do copyright laws um fall where do they exist whether do they stop many questions that um are somewhat unanswered at this stage um jumping to talking well talking about un unanswered things windows 11 oh my goodness you've been using it for a while, Kelsey. A few months now, yeah. Yeah, you jumped on the release candidate accidentally, I think. <laughs> accidentally. <Oops. laughs> and and Damien swears by it, but I have found it to be so buggy. Um, I just, and it's just lacking in simple things like being able to see your multiple windows in the taskbar, just simple things like that, or even swapping to a, like a small taskbar, uh, as it used to be called in Windows 10. But I'm not the only one who's having this issue either. Uh, Jared Steck, who we've interviewed on the podcast before, um, along with many other content creators, YouTubers, tech influencers, have mentioned that there are limitations around Windows 11. There are uh, some CPUs and some systems will have up to, I think it's 30% less performance if you install Windows 11. Um, there's some, it's it's a bunch of sort of hardware and software things that can and cannot be uh, fixed or amended. But there's, you know, the Adobe Creative Cloud Suite, as far as I know, isn't guaranteed to be 100% stable on Windows 11 yet. Um, your experience may vary and it, I think, will depend on your manufacturer as well to an extent and the sort of underlying technology. But this is really just a PSA the way I see it. Just hold on, wait to, until the next iteration of Windows 11 is released. Microsoft will probably do that pretty quickly. I think they've, they've got into a pretty quick or pretty rapid um, iteration 
sort of um, structure. So we should have something new fairly soon. But if you get that pop-up, my suggestion, especially if you want to get work done reliably, um, despite everyone else's sort of experiences, I would just hold off for the moment. Um, the same thing, so, though, applies to the first generation of anything, whether it's software, hardware, whatever it may be. Um, speaking of which, Apple's released a first generation of something new of their MacBook. Um, first generation in the sense of the notch. Ooh, <laughs> it's a funny one when you talk about first generation though, because my understanding is they've obviously brought out this MacBook that has the notch, but they've also rolled back changes from the previous laptops they've brought out in terms of bringing back all these ports. Um, that charger, I don't know the name of the type of charger they the use. And yeah, that's the one. Um, and I think people are obviously happy, but also having a laugh because it's like, Apple, what are you doing? You know, you're going on about all of these amazing changes and then go, oh, sorry, did the wrong thing. We'll bring it back. Well, they never said that. What they were doing is patting themselves on the back for bringing back features that they took away in the first place. The way mm. I see it is if companies, if mobile phone manufacturers started to bring back the headphone jack and make a big deal about it, I think it's in the same, same line. But what I don't understand is the Apple fans, I'm not going to say fanboys or anything like that, but the, the people who like Apple products are just loving it. And they're like, oh my goodness, it's got so many ports, you know, so on and so forth, which my, I, all I can say is Apple has struck some sort of gold where they can intentionally take things away and then bring it back and convince <laughs> you that it is new and fantastic. Mm. Um, yeah, it's kind of a funny one because it's it's almost like they broke something that, I mean, they fixed something that didn't need to be, like it wasn't broken, it was fine. Yeah. And, yeah, now they're coming back and saying we've fixed it again, but actually they could have skipped that whole middle, pit, middle bit and just had all the ports in the first place. And, and everyone's loving it. Mm. Everyone is absolutely Well, fair enough. I mean, it's, it's sort of proven through any other product, isn't it, that actually having ports and being able to access things and do things easily is a good thing. Well, so, I had know. to hop on the work MacBook today. We've got one just for testing purposes when we're when we're working on websites, especially to make sure that we're we've got that um, that device covered. But I, it's only got two USB C ports, and I kid you not, Kelsey, I've got two different adapters connected <laughs> along the chain to make mm -hmm. it all work. And even then, it's working. I would say. 90% of the time and questionably, and it's very fussy. Um, the biggest thing for me though, is the notch. I just, have you looked at any, any um, content or any, any sort of write-ups um, about it? I haven't, but I was actually chatting to my dad about this the other day and he's very anti-Apple, but he was sort of saying that the notch actually is in line with the menu bar. So it sort of actually just sits within the menu bar. You're not really losing screen space and i haven't verified this but credible no, that source is, that is correct yeah but i i didn't i don't understand how you don't use that part of the screen because when i have multiple tabs open that's exactly where those tabs sit the tabs on on where on well okay okay i get actually you know on on a mac you have a yeah, okay. On a Mac, you have a second row. On Windows, you don't have that second. Like, because on mm -hmm. Macs, you have a row where you control everything. Yeah. And then you have, but then you could go, if you're full screen on a on a browser, though, your tabs will end up up on there. Yeah. And I feel like that might question... be a slight niche case, though. Because, I mean, I was using the MacBook for a couple of weeks, mm -hmm. the one that we have at the office. And I don't, I can't think of a single time I actually went full screen with anything. But when you're talking about MacBook Pros, pros, professionals, mm -hmm. that's not really niche when the product, I mean, I get the product or the use case is niche, but not when a product is targeted exactly at that demographic. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't think that having, you know, it wouldn't take many tabs, like looking at the Mac in front of me, I think four tabs and you're sort of enroaching on the middle of the screen. So four tabs isn't even... I wouldn't say that's a particularly niche or high high end use case, 
what what also is interesting and we'll see how they well one is they use background images and they've done this in the past that hide the notch because it's dark in the in the background like wallpaper on the device in the photos so you don't mm -hmm. actually notice the notch um and that's a classic thing that people uh, companies do when they have all sorts of notches my biggest question is with the new macbooks how does a mouse so on a phone it doesn't this wouldn't be an issue as much but how would a mouse go through as in computer mice um go through a notch would it just hmm. like if you start on one end of the notch would it just go through it as if it isn't there and then how would screenshots look yeah look i've got no answer for you there it'll be interesting to see what happens with it whether there is little notch notchy screenshots or if people keep getting the mouse stuck on the notch or something i don't know guess we'll find out is it also a case, in, and in my opinion, it's a, it's a yes, a, a matter of form over function or, well, I actually know it's a, it's a matter of what were they thinking and why they haven't needed it in the past. Mm. Maybe, maybe it's Surely just... function then like, there's got to be a reason for the camera to need that space. It's, it's Apple though. I, mm. I would say it isn't always, and, and we're not, I'm not Apple bashing, but they're the, they're the company that built a rechargeable mouse with the recharge, with the um, port to recharge the mouse on the underside of the mouse. So. Oh God. Yes. I mean, it looks sleeker. Don't get me wrong, but if that's the most uh, functional way to do it, I would disagree. So we can leave it at that. I feel like I can go down this road of, you know, not Apple bashing, but at least getting a bit grumpy with Apple. Um, mm -hmm. So let's just change track altogether and talk <laughs> about uh, Intrepid Travel. They've got a new logo. Um, I mm. have heard of them, but I couldn't tell you much else about them. Yeah, so Intrepid, um, it's, I mean, it's a travel company. So I think their target audience is sort of maybe millennial age at this point. Um, this is off the top of my head. I haven't actually looked into it, but I came across them a lot when I was traveling sort of through Europe and doing the classic Australian abroad situation. Um, yeah, Intrepid, they'll do different tours and things. Um, you know, you jump on your seven day wherever around Europe, for example, and you're on buses and all sorts. Um, so I really like this rebrand um for people that maybe aren't familiar we'll share the screen um so they've got previous logos as you can see that sort of used um they kind of look like i'm not sure where specifically in asia but an asian temple um maybe a mosque as well in there um, a few different things that you might obviously come across while you're traveling and what i love about this rebrand or refresh, I should say, is that they've carried across that iconography and just put it into a new frame in that circle. Um, I also love that they've kept the red because I think red is quite bold and it really helps with, you know, you're exploring and it's exciting and things are happening. That's sort of the um, association I think people have with that red colour as well. Um, yeah, yeah, I really love it. I think it's simple. It's clean. It's interesting that they've kept that um, the buildings Essentially, mm -hmm. since the start, they've kept that consistently, more or less, all the way up until yep. the most recent iteration. Though, funny enough, the most recent iteration is it is almost the exact reverse of how they used to have the um, have the buildings. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure how old that black and white one is, or just black one is. Um, but I mean, the past two iterations have the same sort of layout. And I like that they've put more focus into that icon in this version because obviously the previous one had that intrepid text through the circle and that tiny little, um, you know, building thing at the bottom. So I like that it's got more focus and now they, I think they have a lot more versatility with it as well because they can use the word mark or they can use the icon. They don't have to necessarily use them together. Well, plus again, social media usage. You can see it. I, I stopped here intentionally because you can see it in the um, little profile picture for the channel um, mm -hmm. on YouTube, and it works really nicely. It's they've even managed to get the little cutout from the circle sort of sitting fine, like it doesn't look 
awkward at all. Yeah, I really like it. And I can imagine they would have put focus onto that social media side of usage just because obviously millennial and young travellers, any travellers, it's all about the images and, you know, I'm sure they've got massive audiences through Instagram and YouTube and where they would have all the beautiful imagery of different locations and vlogs and all that sort of stuff. So that would have probably been a very large consideration for them when they were designing this. Yeah, they've really looked at their target market, which is, of course, what you want to do and what is recommended. So um, they've they've done a fine job, I would say, and the colours as well are quite nice. It's not it's bold without being too bold, if mm-hmm. if I could go there. Um, but ultimately, fantastic uh, result, I would say, and a, and a great example of a good, nice, solid brand refresh while keeping elements um, that they're known for. Um, now, jumping jumping through to the next one, talking about. Elements that they're known for, Google. They've released their new Pixel, uh, which is the first Pixel to actually feature a um, chip designed by Google. Now, they're, they're sort of marketing it strongly as a the first fully Google phone. Talk is that the, the chip is actually manufactured by Samsung using their Exynos <laughs> sort of process. Um, yeah. It would be manufactured by one of the big big players in, in there. But what I wanted to sort of put out there is one, Google, every time they release a new Pixel, there's talk about how little market share Pixel has and how much more Google's going to market it this time around. And I was watching TV for the first time in a long time yesterday and they'd already started advertising the pixel on tv ads but my biggest question is i feel like phones have a lot of technology has hit a plateau of late and now our phone manufacturers from a business point of view and a marketing point of view starting to look at how they can essentially just rather than moving forward move sideways and introduce their own chips uh, their own, you know, fully Google phones as a matter of differentiation in the market. Mm. It's interesting because I've sort of thought this over the last few years that they hit up, it's to me as a sort of average consumer, I suppose, that doesn't understand a lot of the background tech stuff. I feel like phones did hit that plateau and it was a case of like the only thing that they're competing on at this point is better cameras, more cameras different AI cameras, whatever that looked like, that was the focus. And now I feel like that's really just hit a spot where, you know, how much better can you make a camera on a phone? We're already at such high depth. (laughs) Yeah. And like what, how often do you actually use those cameras? How helpful is it for people? And I think that now people have had their hands on, you know, three or four cameras. You don't use them that often. You just want a simple shoot, click and shoot kind of situation. Um, so it is interesting to see, I guess, companies like Google are now looking to those chips and things, but whether that has an impact on the average consumer or whether it is really that sort of niche market that understands that stuff, is that a good strategy? I'm not well, sure. Well, the way they're pitching it is, and that's why I mentioned that Samsung actually is producing the chips because the way they're pitching it is that it's the first like fully Google phone. So they're I would say that sort of language is really tailored to the average consumer rather than the tech person because, you know, for me, I, I looked into it. It's as it turns out, it's it's come up in previous benchmarks as an Exynos processor. So, okay, they haven't re- they're not really doing anything different. Saying that though, the final, um, the best outcome I think is that. Google can guarantee updates, software updates for longer. So your phone's going to be more useful for longer. Mm-hmm. But then there's new reports that that's only if you buy the, the Pixel 6 Pro and not the Pixel 6, mm-hmm. um, which seems like a weird distinction because I don't think the chips are that different. So maybe mm. they're, maybe again, differentiation, maybe they're just saying you pay more, get a nicer phone, and you can update it for, um, you know, 66% longer. Interesting one. Yeah. I mean, I can see how that would 
appeal to the average user, especially with all these reports of Apple, for example. It's that classic thing of like Apple will start, um, I can't remember what the joke is now, but they'll basically like break your old iPhone so that you have to buy a new one, that kind of thing. So yeah, it's probably a good move from Google. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, talk, talking about Google, staying on topic, there's uh, a new feature called focus focus blocks that auto decline meetings for you in Google Calendar. Uh, and essentially you can, we've been playing around. I mean, I think you use Google Calendar a lot better, a lot more than I do, Kelsey, uh, where you book, you know, out of office or the fact that you're working on things, but still available. And this is just another iteration of that, which uh, I think is really handy. And I, I could probably use a lot more just being able to just stick to it and just say, no, I can't make it versus a client sort of calling out of nowhere and then bending over backwards to make it work. But in reality, I should have been working on something else. Mm -hmm. It's um, I haven't looked into this too much, but when you're explaining it, it kind of just sounds like a formalized process of putting in your own calendar entry. So like for me, when I use my calendar, it's going to sound weird, but I use it as my daily planner, which is kind of what it's meant to be. But I sort of will put in, I've got, these four tasks to do for the day and I'll set, you know, two hours for this task, blah, blah, blah. It kind of just sounds like a version of that because there is options, I think, to decline meetings or, you know, you can just see that you've got that scheduled in. So, I mean, I guess it's formalizing it and making it more accessible for people that maybe wouldn't think through to get to that point. That's but, right. I think it's making it more of a feature, like a, a yeah. standalone feature that they can sort of make a bit, bit of a deal about. Um, one thing I, it wasn't wasn't in the notes, but I actually got a call yesterday for FD Studio, our photo studio that uh, we use and we've got for hire. Uh, not so much at the moment with the lockdown or with the restrictions, but um, and it was it sounded so the phone rang. I picked it up and it came through to the FD Studio number, and it it sounded like a human. And what threw me off though was it was an American <laughs> accent one. And two, it said, um, I'm just double checking your times that you've got on your website. Can you just tell me what times you're open? I'm an automated Google like robot. I think I've had one of those before. I think it was for right. future theory. It was a like months ago now that I think of it. And I think I might've just hung up cause I was like, I don't know what this is. That's what I did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cause it's I think they basically you check your Google, my business kind of listings. Or just to double check that your website, like um, if you've got your hours listed on there so that they can list it as a answer or something in Google search. Don't quote me on that. That's just my assumption, but yeah. I cool. wonder, do you think they're just trying to make it easier for the average person? Because obviously an email can accomplish a similar thing, but if I got it as an email, I would never respond. But saying that, I thought about if I should respond for 10 seconds and hung up on this phone, like on this call anyway. Yeah, I feel like I would not, well, I didn't trust it when it called me. I, I know it was a human voice and I know that they were admitting it was automatic and everything, but you sort of go, I don't have any context for this. I don't know what you're going to use this information for. I just don't understand. Therefore, see you later. So exactly. there probably needs to be more background work done before that call. Well, and also should... Is there any point that it sounds like a human? Is there any benefit for it sounding like a human? Like yeah. you're, you're confessing that you're a robot unless unless at some point they want to or or actually uh, maybe they're just trying to refine their, their human voice algorithm so to, down to such a, such a fine art that they can sell that as a product or a service maybe. Um, mm. Because the new pixels, they can screen calls for you and it will also start being on hold for you. And when you ring a number that gives you options, um, it will actually listen and list those out on your screen so you don't have to remember all the options as well. Oh, that's helpful because I'm constantly like, I'll start listening and then I'll tune out and I'll be like, I've got to listen to the whole thing again. I hate that. <laughs> well, and they're also apparently doing a lot of this stuff on device, which sounds more secure because your information isn't being like exchanged live but I refuse to, you know, believe that Google isn't spying on this information. Anyway. <laughs> yes, it's on device, yeah. but it's just, you know, it's just not traveling back and forth as much. It's mm -hmm. just, 
they just do one big dump when they feel like it um, of sure. all your information that would have to be the use but the way they work <laughs> through it <laughs> uh, okay next one's next one's more design focused uh, we've had a few sort of tech topics today um, we did talk about the intrepid logo though um, this one's for Nielsen now have you heard of Nielsen before the name is familiar. It makes me think of like a research group. Yeah. Is that correct? That's effectively what they do. Um, they measure audience um, data analytics, you know, Nielsen reports on like what, what TV channel is doing the best or mm -hmm. so like that's essentially what they do. Um, let me share for those who are watching the video what the new logo looks like. Um, I mean, it's night and day, I would say. Mm, I like it. I, I, I don't know nice. what I like about it. It's a bit, it's quite fun, so, like for a data collection company. Yeah, but at the same time, I think it's nice having sort of those four colors and those four pieces of that icon, because, you know, when you think about data and you think about reports, you're wanting to see graphs and whatever else. And usually they have those kind of color differentiations or like little segments. Um, so I feel like that kind of represents that. And it's, well, I mean, looking at further down into all these like gradients and things, it's definitely fun more fun than I'd expected from the logo itself. Um, I, I, don't quite know like why, it. I don't know why they're being fun though, because. I like that they're breaking the convention though. Yeah. 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 Maybe, maybe that's, maybe that's where it starts and stops in terms of like why you would go down this road. I'm not, I'm not against it. It just seems like they've also fallen for the trap of, you know, all the colors, uh, being brand colors there's just no yeah the, the consistency is that there's a lot of colors that um, does seem to be a common trend um but yeah i do like that i think as you said you don't know why they've gone fun and i feel like that's definitely a mindset a lot of people would have of like oh it's data collection it's got to be boring and bland and gross but i think that they're sort of saying well no data collection doesn't have to be boring it's actually quite exciting it has all this incredible information that you can use and especially if you're using it for your own branding or your own company, applying those to real world situations, I think is quite fun and exciting um, it, when you get past the real depths of the data. But once you sort of get X amount of people want to hear this, it's like, well, that's awesome. Let's do something with it. So I, I do like that it's fun. I Yeah, I, I sort of agree. But at the same time, they're not really targeting consumers. Uh, as a as a brand so differentiation again might be the big one but then again it doesn't hurt that they've gone with something so unique um mm. looking through the the visuals i think i really like how they're using the play button sort of symbolism yeah. all the way through um and how they stack it and i mean the lo the logo uh, as a window sort of treatment is is a classic usage but they're doing it quite nicely. Um, but again, very, very sort of consumer focused with their, with the language around doing stuff together. Mm, I think like, on that sort of consumer versus business, you know, B2B or B2C kind of approach, I feel like a company like Nielsen, they would be working with quite large companies in most circumstances. And those large companies are full of humans and consumers and people. So I feel like just because you're going B2B, it doesn't need to be a traditional B2B approach because I think ultimately you are still communicating with individuals who will be those decision makers. So if you can communicate to them in a simple way that you would a regular consumer, but maybe with slightly higher level information, that can only be a good thing. I don't think it needs to be boring and bland just because it's B2B, you know? Yeah, and that's not what I, what I was saying, I guess. Maybe... I don't know, maybe Nielsen should have just left a few colors for everyone else because it seems like they've just <laughs> yeah, taken it all. And we, it's definitely we rainbow. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we just don't have anything to, to um, 
you know, use it on our own branding and on our clients' <laughs> branding when Nielsen tries to take them all. But at the same time, it is fairly, it is a fairly B2B business. So it's not, they're not going to step on many toes, I don't think. Um, mm-hmm. But nonetheless, a nice approach, an interesting approach. And I think if they were a smaller sort of data science company, they probably couldn't have taken such a bold step in, in that sort of colorful direction. Like if a small company was to come, was to, come to us, I probably wouldn't suggest that they try and differentiate so much if they're just trying to cement themselves as a market leader or at least, you know, a real competitor. But again, when you're, when you're at the top of the market, sometimes you just try something different for the, for the sake of it, or because you can um, afford to sort of go against the trends, whatever they may be. Mm-hmm. Um, the next one we have is Instagram you letting users co-author posts and share likes. Yeah, it's, um, it's an interesting one that I came across the other day. I just thought it was interesting to note because it's kind of like a new evolution of, um, you know, they brought out sponsored posts where you could tag the person that sponsored you or whatever it is. So this is like a new level where it's really co-creating a post that will appear in both users accounts and appear on the feed for all of the followers of both users or i don't know if it's more than two it could be more than that even so it's a i don't know um a new a new feature i guess that really does focus on that monetization side of things and the content creator side of things because again instagram is really pushing that side of instagram yeah it's called a they're calling it collabs and you can co-author a post or a reel. Um, and as you've mentioned, it appears on both. It, you share the same comments, thread, same views, likes, and it does seem to be limited to two different users at the moment. They're heading down very much a like social media platform direction that, that with those sorts of things. Um, again, though, I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe again, they've, they've sort of plateaued in terms of what they can add. So all that, all they can do is sort of introduce features like this that I don't think people were asking for, but uh, especially when you could just tag someone, I just don't see how we could use this because from the screenshots, I won't share them because they don't really say much, but it just looks like you create a post and you invite someone and they have to accept it. So while you're co-creating, you're more just being tagged in it, but you know, kicking it up a notch. Instead of just being tagged in it, you also get to be, you know, share in the likes and the comments. Um, saying that, when we do work for clients, for example, I think that could that could lead to interesting outcomes mm-hmm. from an agency client collab kind of perspective. Yeah, or, or even a content creator like a photographer. Like you know, you get headshots yeah. done. And you're going to post those images anyway. And you know that the person who took the photos, the, the makeup artist, they're all going to share them anyway. So you might as well just share it together. And then maybe, maybe that's it. Like you get to aggregate, like if, a big, if you have a big following and you get someone else with a big following and a lot of engagement, you can only assume the market that doesn't cross over there will just contribute to the overall like comments, likes, whatever else it is. Hmm. I think it's a cool feature. Um, obviously not something I'd be using because I think it really is like influencers and brands. Um, it might also add more transparency with sort of sponsored posts because you'll actually see here's the two people that were working together. You can only assume there was some sort of monetary thing involved happening um, versus an individual just posting about a cool product. I think it might add a bit more transparency in that space. Yeah, potentially, potentially. Um, yeah, whether it adds uh, interesting, I think again, Instagram just most of these platforms, I think, have plateaued past or at least hit a point where, yeah, you know, it's all good. Like what you do is good, and they just go shake things up. Um, you <laughs> know, even just the face Facebook sort of um, what what they've done with the. Um, with with they did with the newsfeed and i'm still not i still haven't forgiven it them for it um where they changed it from the chronological order so maybe that's that's just as simple as it is mm-hmm. um from from one platform to another big platform 
Netflix, talking about Plateau as well, I think, um, is shifting the way it ranks its most popular titles. Yeah, um, so I came across this one again the other day and I think previously what they've done is that they've been ranking, so, you know, you have your top 10 or you have, like, most popular Netflix at the moment list. They were ranking them using a couple of minutes of viewing data. So if you'd watched, I think it was two minutes of a show from memory of the article, yeah, the two-minute metric, then that counted as a view. And I think Netflix has realised that that's not a good metric to use because that's such a small amount of time. Like you sort of just get through the intro and you go, no, all right, I'm bored, I don't want to watch this. Um, so I'm not 100% sure what the new metric is, but I think that they're probably putting more onto the longer viewership to actually rank those popular shows which I like because, I mean, I've definitely found when I scroll through Netflix and I come across the popular titles and I'm like, who is actually watching these shows? This can't be, like, it just doesn't feel accurate. So it'd be good to see more accuracy in the feed there. I wonder if it's also they're doing it now because they've gotten big enough that they can afford to put the money behind all this data aggregation as well and... Mm -hmm. um, all this, this sort of tracking, I've always wondered and I always wonder when I see it because how they how they sort of collate that data or what, what data they take into consideration has a real effect on the outcome, right? Um, there's talks about, I look at it from like a bestseller list point of view as well. There's talk of, I forget, but you really like, you have to sell a lot of books, but really not that many books, for example, to hit, hit a top seller list. Um, mm -hmm. And now it doesn't matter so much when it comes to Netflix, because I would say like, that's just within the platform. You don't really win awards within Netflix. Um, it matters when you talk about streaming numbers, most popular shows, but not so much when it comes to Netflix. Um, it could also, I think, uh, sort of tie in with my, with my point about uh, the fact that they could probably improve their filtering um, of shows and they mm -hmm. don't. And I think I certainly have clicked into shows, watch it for a couple of minutes and then jump right out. Um, and that is because their filtering's, I think, intentionally bad to drive you to want to click into shows just to check them out because it's easier than, you know, trying to refine it down further. Yeah, I can understand that thought process, but I just sort of go, that seems very counterintuitive to... Netflix offering a service that they want people to enjoy. If they're constantly being led to shows that they're not enjoying because of a crappy filtering system, that seems like that would not be beneficial for anybody. Well, it's not like they get money from, well, I mean, they probably do, but from mm -hmm. viewership hours, but surely well, they'd so put much... that into the actual successful shows. Well, not so much of viewership hours, right? Thinking about it from a discovery point of view, they want you to discover as many shows as possible, right? Mm -hmm. And there's a limit to how, mu how much they can push those shows to you. So if they make the searching process not as great, what are the chances that you'll stumble across something else that you'd want to watch and watch that and watch what you were looking for in the first place? It's sort of like on Amazon, you know, They'd want you to be able to narrow down your search to a certain degree, but then it wouldn't hurt for them to show you a few products that aren't quite right, but might change your mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's fair. That's sort of the logic I'm following. Because otherwise, why, like, from, from memory, the last time I checked, all you can do is narrow down by genre, but that's not very narrow. Mm, I think, I mean, again, being on Netflix defense side here, I think that when it comes to genres, I've noticed it through other streaming apps as well, like Amazon, for example, they're never accurate. And I feel like maybe it's really a subjective kind of thing where it's really hard to actually put these things into genres and there's like titles that might fall into multiple genres and it's just, I feel but like they, it'd be a hard they, job. Well, Netflix does like tag multiple genres, but I guess... The my point there is why can't they add a filter for languages, for example? Mm. I mean, that's pretty straightforward. Yeah. So do you mean, um, you know, filtering? I think like surely English. they've got like a Bollywood filter or something 
Is that the kind of thing you're after? But does Bollywood mean that it's going to be in Hindi or does it mean it's going to be in Tamil or does it mean it's going to be in mm. English? True. You know, that's, yeah. they, they could do better there. But again, they don't want you to because you know, Squid Game, etc., has shown that a show doesn't have to be in English for it to be really popular. Yeah, that was sort of going to be my next thought in that you can, you know, filtering by language maybe is a bit redundant because you can watch any show and put most languages into sort of a subtitles or dubbed sort of situation. Yeah, saying that, uh, Squid Game's probably the Squid Game and then what's the other one? Alice in Borderland. They're the yes. only shows I've watched dubbed recently. The last time I watched mm. a show dubbed was when I was living in Sri Lanka as a 10-year-old watching Hindi movies and TV shows dubbed into Sinhalese. So until recently, there's no way, and even now, you, there's no way I'm going to watch a dubbed show. I just can't be bothered. It, it frustrates me more than anything else. So um, I get your point, but that, that actually speaks more to my point, I think, that mm -hmm. Netflix just goes, you can watch, like, if you like it or if it looks cool, you can watch it, you know, not quite as the original creator intended, but not far off either. Yeah, fair enough. Just, just a point I wanted to bring up, you know, if Netflix yeah. is listening, <laughs> get back to us, tell us why you do this. I just think it's a, it's a sneaky, sneaky marketing uh, thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, onto another TV, TV or content provider, uh, producer, BBC reveals new logos in a, in their modern makeover. Take me through this. Yeah. So I think um, it was a little while ago that the BBC brought out the refreshed logo, which was very minor changes that spaced some squares out a little bit more, um, nothing super major, but they brought out some new brand assets, um, which that's not a brand new, this one, but that's actually from the BBC website. Um, <laughs> I don't know, when I first came across it, I was like, this is surely not real. This, this has to be a joke. Unfortunately, yes, it is. It's from the BBC website itself. This is their release of Here's Our New Things. Um, it's essentially just they've they've taken a rectangle, they've changed its colours and sizes and rearranged it differently for the various offerings that they have. It's, to it's me, it just feels... It's a version of what Google does, I think. Yeah, it really feels like a school project where the teachers said, all right, here's your shape, try to make all of these things and make it work you know it's one of those yeah, like challenges where you're limited with what you can do man i just i don't understand it i don't really like there's some applications that work most of them though they're not working i don't like them. like if you thought um iplayer was a was a bad logo oh bad name sorry their logo sorry let me reshare it um here we go the iPlayer logo just makes it like iPlayer sounds old school and then the logo just makes it worse. Sounds... It doesn't even look like a triangle or a play no. button. No. And then the sounds thing, I sort of get it, but at the same time to me, it looks more like a, like a camera than uh, yeah. sounds. I can see that. I feel like sounds needs to sit on a flat surface rather than mm -hmm. coming from the center. Yes. Because it's that because... classic old school volume going up kind of thing. Yeah. And then sport. Don't know. I don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> Whether okay, I can see it, but how horribly balanced is that? Like And it's meant to be a sun, I think, but it's yeah. blue like rain, so that's confusing. And then I just don't even know what this is. And then bite size it looks, like looks like it's got the biggest blocks of all, so I don't know why it's bite sized. <laughs> But anyway. And then in this one, is it just me or is is the first B square sitting a little bit higher than the the other two squares? It might just be an optical illusion. I think it might be an optical illusion, but it's now that I you've pointed so. it out, I can see it. It might just be at this scale though. True. Because I'm sure that it's it's definitely aligned. There's no way they'd let it go out without it being aligned. Oh, you'd be surprised. <laughs> I mean, they've released these assets which it's just crazy. Yeah, it's not getting yeah. great feedback either, is it? Not not surprisingly, no. though. 
No, it's it's really kind of it's disappointing. I would say I feel like they could have done so much more. They didn't mess up their BBC logo refresh when they did it. They just simplified it and you know had a whole thing about it, which was probably unnecessary. But I feel like they've just missed the mark with with this one. Yeah, they really have. And uh, let's finish off with a really, really kind of big thing, which is that Facebook is planning to rebrand the company with a new name. Now, I think it's big in that Facebook, the company is changing its name, but I also think it's small in that it's Facebook, the company, not Facebook, the platform. Mm -hmm. But again, um, maybe a sign that they're going to use their money to do more than just what they're doing at the moment. I think that's probably a fair goal. Mark Zuckerberg, I think, wants to, you know, he they, they own um, they own augmented reality companies. They own all sorts of companies. So um, maybe maybe that's their goal. But still, big news. Wonder what they would change it to. We saw Google restructure the company to be called Alphabet. Hmm. What do you what do you think this is going to be? I honestly have no idea. Um, it's it's the classic case of you started off with Facebook as the one product and now they've built to this absolute giant thing, obviously. Um, and you've been riding on the Facebook name for so long. And I understand why they would want to now change it so that they can, you know, expand further and do all of that sort of stuff. But it's also like, would you, would you lose a lot of... Um, I don't know, clout or whatever because you're not having that Facebook name anymore or will it be beneficial? I don't know. I don't know what they would rename to either. That'll be interesting to see. We haven't it. been calling Alphabet Alphabet for, well, at all. I still call them Google. So I've never heard of it. Just, it'll just, yeah, be, be a nothing sort of um, thing. But uh, it's just reminded me, talking about Google, um, a little, well, talking about the new Pixel a little bit earlier, something I wanted to bring up is this changing track uh, – uh, changing sort of topics a little bit was um, Snapchat. Actually, they announced that Snapchat's going to be, or Snap is going to be integrated into Google Pixel phones so you can get in Snap really quickly. And mm -hmm. we've talked about this, if not in an episode, at least around the office about like, I thought, you know, they cease to exist already. I, <laughs> I just don't see their, their value proposition. But um, Damien was mentioning that they can identified dog breeds, I think, on the app. Um, they're sort of getting a bit funky with that sort of thing. So, yeah, I just wanted to make a note that maybe maybe Snap, the company's uh, real value proposition is that they're going to get really good with images and recognition and and, and go, to, go down that road. Um, yeah, maybe it'll be less social and more of an actual phone application kind of thing, something that's practical and useful. Maybe that's where they're going with it aligning themselves closely with like providers like Google as well and mm -hmm. giving them that opportunity. Maybe they'll just get bought out by Google in the future if, if their algorithms get good enough because we're definitely going down that road, right, where you want to be able to take a photo and we've talked about it with Pinterest. Um, we're seeing it with a lot of other companies. Um, it's just uh, take a photo, able to understand what's within that photo and do something with it. So, um, yeah, just wanted to bring that up. And on that note, I think that's that's about it for this week's episode. Is there anything we've missed? No, I think that's everything. All that discussed. Everything. Awesome. All right. Well, um, thank you for listening, everyone. Uh, thanks for having this conversation with me, Kelsey. And we'll uh, catch you all next week. Yep. Catch you all next week. See ya. Bye.